This is episode 286 of the Read to Lead podcast, brought to you in part by cloud accounting software, FreshBooks. You can try FreshBooks free for 30 days when you visit freshbooks.com slash read to lead and enter read to lead in the how did you hear about us section. I see branding and strong communication as politeness. I think it's a way of not asking someone else who has just met you to do all the work to figure out who you are and to assume that you're so important that they should do that. Thank you for joining me. My name is Jeff and this is the Read to Lead podcast. It's dedicated to your personal and professional growth. My hope is to help you bridge the gap between what you intend to do and what you actually do. That's why we read the books that we do. Each and every week, we sit down with a successful and inspiring author, and we dig into his or her latest book and their unique insights on a number of different topics. We're being joined today by author Marianne Cantwell. She's written a book called Be a Free Range Human, Escape the 9 to 5, Create a Life You Love, and Still Pay the Bills. Marianne says that between working a job and being, say, a startup entrepreneur, there's a space in between where we can spend the majority of our time doing things we truly love and get paid for it at the same time. I'll be asking Marianne to share about what she means when she says our weaknesses are actually strengths, but just in the wrong environment, the importance of starting with what you have and why it's important to ask yourself why you need what you think you need, what she's learned about things like standing out from the crowd and personal branding, and much, much more. In contrast to that, I'd like to share with you a new podcast or a podcast new to me that I recently discovered. It's a show that helps grow your skills and impact at any job that requires thinking and collaborating. That's just about every job, right? It's called How to Be Awesome at Your Job. The host is Pete Makatis, and he interviews thought leaders and results getters to discover specific actionable insights that boost work performance. The show has been downloaded 7 million times. It's been mentioned in the New York Times, Forbes, and Inc. I recommend you check out episode 490 called Uncovering Your Why and Bringing It to Work. I'll put a link in the show notes. Marianne Cantwell is an expert on creating a free-range career and a successful work-life balance that fits who you really are and the life you want. The founder of Free Range Humans and a leading TEDx speaker, Thousands have taken her courses on finding their thing and making it work for them. Uh, her thinking has been featured everywhere from Business Week and CBS Money Watch to Guardian, Daily Mail, and Entrepreneur Magazine. Originally published in 2013, the book we're diving in today uh, is in its second edition and is called Be a Free Range Human. Escape the 9 to 5, create a life you love, and still pay the bills. Marianne, thank you so much for uh, taking time out of uh, what I assume is a very busy schedule to be with us here on Read to Lead. Ooh, I'm excited to be here. How are you enjoying New York so far? I love it. It's being unusually sunny, so I'm making the most of that. And you are moving from Los Angeles? Yes. Uh, I lived in London for years. I'm originally from Australia, and I moved to LA last year, and now I'm in New York for a while. So I've been mm. hopping all over the globe. <laughs> well, I want to ask you in regard to your book, Marian, first off, what's, what's prompted this second edition now about six years since the first? Well, I had an unusual problem, which is mm. that the first edition 
was, well, it wouldn't stop selling. So <laughs> I had, which you'd think is a good problem, right? So right. I was there, I wrote this edition. I, I was younger. Uh, the whole idea of creating a career on your terms as your own boss, it wasn't as trendy a thing then. So mm. one, my book was one of the first, especially in the UK, where we focused on that first release, even though it's now global. You know, it was one of the first to do that. And the world had changed. I had changed, the insights had changed, and the book was still giving advice from all those years ago. And so when my publisher came back and said, would you like to do a second edition and essentially do many months of, of work for a, um, a release that will probably be smaller than doing another book, um, I actually jumped on it and said yes, mm. um, which is an unusual decision to do. What was actually a huge rewrite of a book um, because I felt it was so important to – really speak to the age of overwhelm, the information overload that we're in and the ease of comparisons that we have. So, so many of those reasons I felt really called cool to do a second edition. Well, what do you mean when you refer to the, the free range option as quote unquote, the third way? <laughs> well, it's meant to be the, the idea of being a free range human is about being someone who creates you know, your own business or your own free range career to suit number one, your personality. So who you actually are mm. you're underneath all the layers and number two, the life you want, be that more time, be that location independence, be that whatever it is, it looks like to you. And to me that there, there really wasn't, when I started doing this, an option that encompassed that there was either mm. be in a job and hope that you can kind of make it work for you. Or there was be a sort of startup entrepreneur. So you know, raise loads of capital or follow a particular formula. And there wasn't this space in the middle, which is actually what most of us are really looking for. And so I, instead of calling it, you know, business or whatever else, I said, we're calling it a free range human. So mm -hmm. someone who thinks outside the box and does things their way. A lot of folks considering working for themselves, they start with ideas like launching a coffee shop. And when you dig deeper, you find out that's not really what they want to do. It's something else. Yeah. I, I feel that we, we all do this. We have this vision of what it would be like to be a. So for those people who have not written a book, a common one is, I would love to be an author. You just get to sit around and, and think and drink lots of tea or coffee, depending on your country. And of course, any author would be like, no, we tear our hair out and we wonder why we're doing this. But, you know, we, there's always a vision. There's and, and there's a few really common ones. There's, I want to be an author. I want to own a cafe. Wouldn't that be lovely? Uh, I want to go and maybe move to the French countryside and own a B&B. &B. You know, there's all these these fantasies. I want to be an artist. Now, the thing with these fantasies is often we conflate the life that we want, the lifestyle that we want with the vessel that we think will help us get there. So of course, the reality of being, a, say, a cafe owner is that you, you don't spend your time sitting around chatting with customers. You spend your time worrying about stock supplies, about marketing, about this and that. And so my book tries to actually separate the two and get us to get really deep and really aware of these mm. questions of what is the life I actually want? So when I say I want to be an author, an artist, uh, a consultant, whatever it might be, is it what's the thing I'm really looking at? And then you can reverse engineer that to get a solution that might be a better fit for you. 
Well, a lot of people struggle with with not knowing what one thing they should decide on. But okay. but but you say the whole idea of needing to pick just one thing—it's really a myth. Can you can you expound on that? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And this is—I think it goes back to—I know this is my experience. You know, I was that overachiever in school, uh, in high school, in college. I was always the one who thought you, know, you get the grades, you do the right extracurriculars, you'll you'll get some sort of reward at the end because you'll find that one path, that one job that will give you everything. And of course, as I became an adult, I quickly realized that certainly was not the case. Um, and the world's a little bit more complex than that. But we do grow up and we are, I think, continually given career advice that it's all about, and what do you do? You know, you're you're at a dinner and someone said, what do you do? I'm a banker. I'm an accountant. I'm an artist. And that thing is meant to encompass all of you. Now, the reality is, especially when you are your own boss, mm. A job title or a business title doesn't capture everything about how you spend your days. So the idea that somewhat we have of what is the one thing I'm meant to be doing with my life doesn't reflect the fact that, for example, someone can start, say, let's just say a coaching business mm. um, or say a book coaching business, to use the example familiar to everyone here. There's that saying as a, as a book coach, as an editor for, for authors, they're not spending their whole day book coaching and editing. They have to spend time on marketing. They have to spend time on maybe creating products. They have to work out of the thousand variations of a book coaching business, which one am I going to have? And that's what I mean by one thing being a myth. You don't, I always say in my work, I don't spend my time getting paid to write, although I seem to be an unpaid journalist these days <laughs> writing a lot of press pieces. So that's a whole other story. But you know, I didn't spend, before that was the case, you know, I didn't spend my days getting paid to write. But for five years, I wrote several thousand word newsletter every Friday to what was a, a growing email list. And so I didn't say I'm going to go and consult people. That's what I do. I then became a writer on the side. Then I started speaking. Then, you know, I love making art. It's one of my, my big joys. Mm. And for the first editions of my now uh, much upgraded website, a lot of my hand drawing cartoons were on it. And so when we start getting creative, this is what I really mean to answer your question. We get really creative <laughs> about who we are and what can be possible within our business it doesn't just give us extra freedom. It can also answer that question of how do I get an edge and be different to others? And the answer often is a lot closer to home. What are the parts of you you feel are not being fulfilled in what you're doing? How can you bring a piece of that to the table? And that's why I think this idea of one thing, the one thing is the gateway, you know, like it's not, it's not the entirety of what you do day to day. Uh, one part of the book that I found particularly eye-opening was when you, you say that our weaknesses are, are actually strengths, but just in the wrong environment. What, is, what does that mean exactly? Ooh. Well, you just, that's actually the most quoted line in the book, um, <laughs> I think. So uh, you've just hit on my favorite. Honestly, mm. to me, this is what everything comes down to. Mm. Um, weaknesses are just strengths in the wrong environment. It comes back to the fact that when you're in a job and you have, say, an annual or a quarterly review, the focus is always on your improvement points. So we spend so much time looking at what is it about ourselves that we need to coach away, that we need to hide away, that we need to minimize, that we need, and all these things that 
where we show up in a place that doesn't fully fit us that will come up. So for example, when I was in one of my old jobs, I spent a lot of time, I was meant to be doing uh, very boring work, by the way, a lot of <laughs> analysis and things that totally don't suit me. And all I wanted to do was do presentations and uh, work on strategy and change how everything was done. And I had so many ideas, which were massively inappropriate in a huge multinational with established structures. Whenever I had trainings, it was all about how to focus, how to do this and that. I ended up leaving that, moving into a sort of strategy management consultancy mm. where People would be hiring me and the team to do the very things I had tried to manage out in the other job. And that was the first moment where I thought, hold on a second, if I had really gone down that path and believed those things to be weaknesses, I actually would have missed a much better part of my career. Then when I left that and ended up starting my own business, things grew so that now speaking, presenting, seeing new ways of doing things are exactly what I'm known for. And that's just one out of so many examples of how a thing that we see as a weakness, it's really worth taking a moment, as I explain in the book, to think of examples of places where that weakness might be a strength. Now, you don't need to, as you'll know, Jeff, having read the book, you don't need to then know, oh, that's how I'm going to get paid for it. Hmm. It's an intellectual exercise to get out of the, the loop of thinking this thing about me, this trait, this what I call this can't help it theme, the thing <laughs> you can't help do, even though it's super awkward, like that thing is bad. If you can find just one place where theoretically it could be useful You've opened a door to start then thinking, okay, well, how can I start to get to a place where maybe it could be useful in reality, not just in theory, but it's really important um, to realize that every trait we have as humans is just on a continuum. It's just a trait. If it's expressed in a way that's unhelpful, then it becomes a weakness. If it's, for example, someone who's a great listener, that can be an amazing trait, but if you put yourself in an environment where you need to be speaking every you know, 10 seconds, it's suddenly going to become a weakness. So where where is that trait being expressed and can you find somewhere to express it in a way where it's going to be really valued? Many of us struggle with this this idea of, of wanting to find something to do that's original, at least in our mind, is, is original. I know when I started this podcast and was doing research for, for ideas around what I wanted to do, I thought naively that, oh, maybe I could be one of the first people to do an interview-based podcast, not realizing that those were <laughs> out there by the thousands. Uh, but but obviously, that didn't, that didn't stop me. Can, can you speak a bit to the myth of originality or needing to be original or, or ways you can be original, maybe? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, your example's wonderful, by the way, because my experience of podcasts has been interview podcasts. So <laughs> I'm actually interested, I'm looking at starting a podcast myself that is a one-person podcast, mm. which is obviously now not the way it's done. So <laughs> it's interesting how yeah, our environment, our influences really shape what we think is is original. Um, and I think you've just given such a great example there. You know, we, I think we all know this. We've been talking about this for a while. Anyone who's read any entrepreneurship book will, will know this idea of there being an original idea that no one has thought of is number one, not a thing that is likely in our society. If there's something out there, probably there's a whole corner of Reddit that's already talking about it. So there's probably someone doing or talking about that thing. Um, but I think more importantly, let's say there's two things. Number one, even if you come across an idea that is wildly original that no one is doing, 
if it's such a great idea and you do it, someone else will be doing it soon. Mm. So there is no scenario in which you're not going to have competition. Mm. Like, it's, that's not going to happen. The only time you're not going to have competition is if it's a terrible idea and it doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> so, so like you're going to have competition. So the next question will be, well, why would you want it to be original? Well, I think there's two answers. One of them would be the, the idea of the first mover advantage. Mm. Uh, and once again, I'm sure your listeners know that's such a myth that doesn't correlate with mm. businesses that take off. Google was not the first search engine, right? Yeah. Like the, the first mover is actually, I find the first mover has a really, really hard job. They're establishing <laughs> an industry. I like being a sort of early-ish mover personally. <laughs> That's where I, I kind of fit. I'm kind of like, I've watched it for a while. I'm like, you guys are doing great. That seems like a nice idea. <laughs> um, but some people, I think we all have a different way of fitting in the world. Some people are actually stronger going into established industries and being able to pull things off in, say, a more reliable way. So yeah. I think you have this wave of people that go in at first that are the, the mavericks, and they're the ones who you know love the being kind of like me, the, 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 the new-ish edge of something, even if it's not the newest edge. Then you've got the people who will bring it out to even more people, who get the groups going around it, who you know create the industry events, who became, make, it, make it wider. And then you get the people who come in who are really good at making things work better, who are good at systematizing. So in the world of, say, um, running online business education, mm. we're in that season right now. So when I joined, it wasn't a new, new idea. There were people doing it, but I came in just at this time when it was close to hitting mainstream. And that's that's where I fit best in an idea. I just went about hit mainstream, helping it get there. Mm. And now it's, you know, you go online and you look up, how do I start my own business and make money online? And you will find a <laughs> thousand different formulas saying, be a version of me. That's the season we're in. We're now in replication season. Mm. And so when you just take all this into consideration, where does the original original idea fit in that? Well, it doesn't. Mm. It doesn't really fit. The idea of an original idea, it's whatever we come up with is going to be a mix of a few other things. You know, you even at the beginning of a field, you're still getting people who are taking ideas from one field and applying it in another. You're still getting people who say, you know, I've got an example of my book of someone who came from a marketing background and established a successful HR consultancy because her and her business partner used ideas from the marketing world that just weren't used in HR. And she's like, people say we're innovative. <laughs> We're not. We just repurpose ideas. So I think we have to get past the idea of originality being important and instead focus. And it goes back to who you are. So in all the examples, they were saying, you know, where do I fit? And the question is, where do you fit? Are you someone who's best at making things, bring things to a wider audience? Are you someone who's best at making sure things work really well? Mm -hmm. you know, when you know that, you don't need an original idea. Yeah, I know you think, Jeff, but I think the idea of original idea comes from a space of feeling like you need tricks. Mm. And I think you don't need tricks. I think you need to know what you and your team are bringing to the picture. Well, you mentioned online education a minute ago, online courses. What are some other maybe common free range business ideas that you've identified that others might might consider? Yeah, there's, I mean, there's so many. Uh, I think I've put maybe five categories in the book, five or six. So obviously there is firstly services. So that is when you are consulting, you are coaching uh, with my example before of say a book coach or book editor, that's a great idea of a service. Then there is the 
packages. So that's where you might go online or offline uh, in, say, education or support. So that book coach or editor might instead package their thing up into a six-week course or a downloadable something or other uh, <laughs> or a, an ebook or whatever it is. So suddenly they've got something that's separate from them. Uh, then you have events. So some people really thrive at events. Uh, not everyone has to do them, but some people are, who are natural connectors who love to get people in a room, they can mm. be the person who creates you know, the event for your country or your town for people who are writing books, you know, like, so suddenly you start to get all these variations. Then you have physical products. So in the book, I've got, uh, as you'll know, an example of my friend, Phil, um, Phil Van Nostrand, who's a photographer who partnered with a colleague of his and they created these beautiful, absolutely gorgeous glass boxes that photographers use to put photos in when handing to say their wedding clients, that sideline completely pays his rent in New York city <laughs> as a sideline. And that's a lovely example. Cause that's someone who came from a service background of, as a photographer to partnering with someone who has created a physical product that serves that need. And there's so many other things. There's the idea of, I know people get really excited about advertising in affiliate marketing mm -hmm. where you promote something and get a percentage, uh, a payment back that can be great if you're a natural attractor, if you're someone who attracts a lot of people to you and there's a gap in what you can offer versus what your readership wants. So mm. for me personally, there's a lot of things I don't offer. So I have a rule that if I'm not the best in the scene at it, I mm. don't offer it. So then I'll promote someone else who's offering something that I know my readers have asked for and mm. I'll get a percentage from that. So there's so many ways to create something that's a little bit out of the box. And regardless of which of those categories you decide to leverage, it's all about getting paid, right? And in order to get paid, you've got to be able to invoice for the services you're providing or for the businesses who are coming alongside and sponsoring that event you're going to do. Well, my invoice software of choice and the sponsor of this episode is FreshBooks cloud accounting software. It's what I've always used ever since I started my first side hustle about 10 years ago. And as my business has grown and my needs have changed, FreshBooks has grown with me. FreshBooks, in my opinion, makes accounting so straightforward to use that you'll save hours every week and have more time to let your creativity flourish. If that sounds attractive to you, then there's never been a better time to try FreshBooks right now to see if it's right for your business. I think it will be. You can test it free for 30 days. And when I say test it, I mean test all of it. No obligation. All you have to do is go to freshbooks.com slash read to lead and enter read to lead in the how did you hear about us section. My guess is once you've tried it, you'll never go back to using anything else. Again, that address is freshbooks.com slash read to lead. Well, we talked to a moment ago, this is kind of springboarding off the originality myth question. Talk about the importance of starting with what you have and, and why it's important to ask yourself why you need what you think you need. Yeah, this is big. I think when we're starting anything new, if you're like me and you're a bit of a perfectionist and you set <laughs> high standards, we want to get it right. And getting it right, we can spend a lot of time focusing on on what I call the shell or the business shell. And that's all those things that make it look like you have a business. Yeah. 
that aren't actually bringing in any clients or income. So <laughs> that could be the lovely logo, the pretty website, the nice business cards. The the I mean, I've I've met people in the work I've done who have spent years coming up with these incredibly complex plans, like actually written documents, mm. and they haven't gone out and done what we do in free range land, which is we run projects. We run what we call free range projects in two weeks or a month where you've tested an idea and you you go through in different different iterations. They haven't even done that, mm. but they've come up with all these complexities and they've done all these, they've worked with designers. And the problem with that, the problem with something that requires a huge amount of time or money investment before you start is that it usually doesn't work. Mm. So this is where, you know, I hear this a lot, but isn't it really expensive to start your own thing. Don't people lose a lot of money? And I'm like, yes, absolutely. <laughs> but they're not starting a business. They're starting a shell of a business. Mm. They haven't invested wisely. They've invested in what they thought they needed. And so something that we talk about a lot in free range land is going back to first principles of really understanding. Like I talk about in that chapter, I talk about this idea of starting for under a hundred dollars, which is, you know, it, it's, it's more of a, you know, eye-catching idea. You can start for whatever that figure is comfortable for you, but challenging yourself to start with what you have in front of you already. So instead of saying, I need to create a big following to get, you know, in order to promote an app that hasn't been created, instead we say, well, what does that app do? Can you get a taste of offering that out without the build. How mm. does that work? How do people respond? There's always a more human way. And uh, so in the book, I talk about if you want to have an education business, helping people, I can't remember what it was, I think do public speaking confidently, mm. instead of coming up with this huge plan and, and saying, I need all these things and how much am I going to spend and how many years, go and find four people and do it with them because then you're going to get the insight about what actually matters. You know, you may have gone off and done a lot of branding work, promoting a message that when you're in the room and you're doing the work, you realize is just like 20% off and that 20% can cost you everything. So mm -hmm. we're all about start small, start now, iterate you know, and grow project by project. I mean, for example, your podcast, is that something you expected to have actually work when you started it or is it something you did as a side project where did that fit for you yeah it was um uh, just a labor of love it was a side project mm -hmm. something i just wanted to do and as i was planning it i didn't know that i was going to lose my job one month before i launched it mm -hmm. um that just happened and then i launched it and six or eight months later i realized that i had begun to build an audience and yeah. i began asking them what they wanted from me what they needed from me what, what i could help them with and one thing led to another. That's I love, love this, by the way. I always find that your know, podcasters have the best stories. And I, I really, by the way, I love that. And you can tell because of the way you do your podcast, because of the, the, the feeling around it, mm. that if someone is, and this is what I often tell people, and we is how we work with people in free range land, is that when you're a smart, driven person, which I'm sure that you you are, mm. you know, we we can often over-engineer things. So it's actually the smartest people who have the most trouble getting started and making something work because we try to engineer things. And I'm super strategic, so I'll think ten years in the future, how will that look? And of course, I have no idea. I have no <laughs> idea how it's going to look, but I can think I will. And so we can kind of trip ourselves up by being too clever. But when we get back to, okay, so we have a, a general idea of where we're going. So we're not going totally blind, but we are doing a series of projects that tap into 
what we do well and what we actually want to do as well as our strategy. And we put the two together. That's where the magic happens. You know, for me, it was the old free range humans blog, which was the first uh, side project I did after quitting my job. I had these other businesses and I started this little blog and um, the new free range humans website still has, I think like 10 posts from the old archives. Mm-hmm. And that blog started everything that I do today. And it was, I would never, you know, if I had sat down and said, what's a great name? for a thing that's going to take off around the world, I would never have called it free range humans. Like I would have said that silly, who will understand that? What like a frivolous name, all these things that my very loud inner critic would be like, yeah, you're never going to do that. And because it was a side project that I did, you know, I started it and I got off the ground in, you know, in a few weeks, it was called free range humans. And of course people didn't care about my very sensibly named, you know, coaching company I had at the time, which then shut down to become free range humans. And this is the story I love. That's why I always ask people I talk to these questions. Anyone can do this. You know, when you see someone who has something thriving, don't just say, oh, how did you start? Because I think people tell the story that they've created in their head. You know, we we rewrite our narrative. I like to ask a question like, does anything surprise you about what you're doing? Or was there anything that you did with that was actually a side project? And that's interesting because I've almost got a hundred percent hit rate on people going actually, mm. yes. And so when you twist it like that, you go, oh, so the stories we hear, you know, I've done so many magazine interviews um, and, and newspaper interviews. And what I've learned is the stories we read in the newspapers and magazines, they're molded to fit a narrative that actually fits the myth. Mm. So we're hearing again and again, that you need a lot of things to start, you know, because they will miss the important bit at the beginning. They will miss the Mm. part where someone spent six months running projects on this. And instead they'll say, I know, Susan put up her website and and the next day she had a a thousand customers. (laughs) And you're just like, did you miss Susan's last two years? And so this is why you have to, as a listener, you have to get into the mode of being your own detective, ask better questions. And in the French humans book, what I've kind of done is uncovered you know, what people really are saying, all of which is to say it's not as hard as we think and not as hard as we make it in our heads. I often have people uh, back in the day when I first started the podcast ask me in that first year, how did you create a successful podcast in such a relatively short period of time? You've only been doing this for you know a few months or a year. I thought, well, I did radio for 26 years before starting, <laughs> starting the podcast. So that lends itself to, to doing this a, a little bit. I was like, that little detail just got, you know, just got, oh my God, I had so many, I was going to tell you another one of this. So I, without name dropping at all, um, I was at an event not long ago and there was someone who was speaking at this a very intimate event and had created a um, a very popular game and who they had done very well on Kickstarter. Mm. And, you know, he went in and gave this wonderful, inspiring presentation about the whole way that they pulled this off, the whole way they created one of the most popular games of our time, you know, that has a huge amount of funding was by engaging with their audience. And he gave these wonderful like screenshots and photos and said, you know, we went, we, we raised all these millions and here's the the ways we engage and problem was i was in the audience and i was one of their first backers and i Mm. went up to him afterwards and i said yeah i backed you guys and i was watching in the first round that you mentioned very briefly and i backed you because i was a huge fan of the illustrator of that game and what i remember happened was the illustrator has a huge following Mm. and it was him 
engaging with the following that he'd established over a decade that got you guys to the first like million or so. He goes, oh my gosh, it absolutely was. And then once we had the first million, we were one of the most popular crowdfunded games ever. Then we did audience engagement. And all these people around me who were like, oh, so you didn't start that way. I was like, no. And so this is, it, to me, it was really telling. It wasn't that this person was being bad or anything. It's just that he'd rewritten the narrative in his head that the way to go from zero to incredibly popular is audience like engagement mm. with all these tricks and this. And I was sitting there going, no, the way to go from zero to incredibly popular is to tap into a fan base that is already engaged. Mm. That's the story you guys are missing. And so this is why I think it's so important to go back to basics. You know, we don't need to come up with these super fancy, like complex, like let's find out Instagram stories and create all this like stuff. It's like, let's go back to basics and say, where are the people who I want to reach? How do I tap into a group of them? How do I create something based on something that I know I bring to the table already. For you, no, Jeff, it was you were a radio presenter. That's a pretty obvious thing. For me, I've always been a writer, like not professionally, but mm. I've written since I was a kid. I did creative writing as a you know main module at university. I know how to write. So even though I, that wasn't my background, I knew that my gateway was writing. For someone else, it might be, you know what, I don't have that, but I'm the person who I'm very good at being trusted by someone who's a leader. You know, leaders like you're the person in the company that is the most reliable. Well, instead of going out and trying to be like the loudest, go and prove mm. to a bunch of people who are leaders in your field how great you are at supporting them and at doing work with, say, their clients. And suddenly you'll be able to tap into, and I have stories in the book of this, of a, a group of people who they have access to. Mm. So it's this very grounded, and I think I always think the energy of it, I'm getting a bit woo-woo here, Jeff, but <laughs> I think that the energy, I actually can feel the energy of it. When you talk to someone who's starting and who's feeling lost, it feels like they're almost going to like fly out of their head. Like it's a billion ideas and it's spinning and spinning. And if you're feeling like that, you want to create something and have a next step that feels so simple that it lets you take a breath out and feel like your, your feet are literally feeling your feet on the ground. And you have the trick is at this point, you know, going back to the idea of you're know, starting with what you have, you know, you've hit on it when you say, but isn't that too easy? Isn't that like cheating? Does that count? Now we have a step to deal with. All those dreams in the future come from that. Well, why or what, I should say, do we need to understand, Marianne, about this this group that you call, and I love this, the Beige Army? Well, my two favorite chapters right there. <laughs> um, so this is halfway through the book. Uh, you get the Beige Army. And the Beige Army, I, that was originally a blog post, that chapter, by the mm. way. It was so popular, I turned it into a chapter. They're the people who, you definitely know them, by the way. Everyone has met the Beige Army. They have a reason why not for everything, <laughs> and nothing's good enough. Mm. So if you met someone like your cynical uncle, Beige Army, uh, the person in the office who like wrinkles up their nose and is like, oh, why would you do that? Beige Army. Like, they're the people who and it's this sense of beigeness around them. Any idea of enthusiasm, they're so threatened by it. I think it hits something in them that they do their best to push it down. Mm. So they're the critics. I always think trolls online, trolls, beige army. Like it's, it's feel as small as I feel today. That's a beige army feeling. Mm. And 
I think the thing we need to really know, because we all have them, and sometimes they're they're people we work with. Sometimes they're actually our friends, which is a really difficult one. Sometimes, and actually often, they're family members. We don't choose our family, but we certainly have Beige Army members somewhere in the family. There'll be at least one <laughs> hanging around. Uh, there might be someone you run into and in all your enthusiasm talk about what you're doing, and they're like, do you have a degree in that? Or <laughs> aren't there a lot of people doing that? Or really, who wants that? Like, you know, they, they just they don't know very very much, but they've got a lot of opinions. Mm. I think with the thing to answer your question, we really need to know about them is you don't actually need to fight them. If you try to win that war, you will expend all your energy on trying to convert this group of fairly scared, but very vocal people. And so for me, the beige army is just someone to skim over. You know, I, I don't want to hear, I'll give you an, ex, as an example. Um, I turned down an opportunity last week to have a feature in the biggest paper in the UK mm. because it's read by the Beige Army. Not that there's not read, it's read exclusively by the Beige Army, but a, a huge majority of its readers fall into this category. And I did not want to send my book into the, the wolf's den mm. and have it ripped to pieces in, in review sections to have me trolled for the next five years, which, by the way, done this before, it's actually what happens. Mm. Um, so, you know, we have to decide who we speak to, how much we listen to them, you know, if we have to speak to them because they're your boss or your family member, do you take that seriously? For me, what's made a huge difference is naming it. So instead of saying these people are just the normal ones, they're just speaking the words of reality, is to say, actually, you know, they're a group, they're called the Beige Army, and they're not any more normal than you and I. Mm. They're just, they like to use language that makes you think that. You know, so we've just got to be very judicious about who we speak to, where we spend our time, and also what other influences we're letting in. Um, but I think it's such a big one. Um and I'm a big believer in the power of naming. You know, when you name something, it's no longer normal. It's no longer default. And that's why, for me, I created this, this whole idea of the Beige Army so we can stop saying, well, normal people say this. We're like, no, the Beige Army says this. <laughs> now let's start to look at what normal really means. Yeah, love it, love it. Uh, so many that I, I talk to, Marianne, are, are uncomfortable with the idea of having what I call a laser-like focus in regard to who their market is. I work with a lot of small groups and mastermind groups, and that's often a big struggle. Uh, talk about why uh, you feel we, we don't or should not feel like we have to appeal to everyone. It's just quite ironic because I, I gave a TEDx talk a few years back called The Hidden Power of Not Always Fitting In, um, which weirdly, thank you, um, weirdly, <laughs> thanks to YouTube, seems to go kind of viral every six months. So we just got <laughs> like, you know what the views are now, but suddenly be like, oh, 50,000 more people have watched it. Um, and so it, it's been watched by quite a lot of people. And that was actually on the surface People watch it and think that I'm actually talking about this idea that you can be everything. You don't have to fit into a box. And yet I'm the biggest believer in niching down mm. and in having knowing what you're about. And I don't think the two concepts are at odds. I think when, when you're someone who isn't just one thing, which is me, which is all my readers and certainly all my TED Talk listeners, when you're someone you know you're not just one thing, you know you're, you don't fully fit into any box, the temptation is to try to be everything. Mm. And I think that we're missing a trick. Just because you're not one thing in entirety doesn't mean that you can't pick an area to focus on and to you know, display all your great gifts within that area. So, like an example that I, I like to give is, uh, I give the, give in the book actually, Grace, who was a client and friend of mine, mm -hmm. who 
was someone who, you know, she's a lovely, lovely person who loves to help. And, you know, she was starting out as a coach and she was saying, I have to help all the people. You know, I can't just help one type of person with one type of thing. What if I miss that other person? What will happen? Will I be a bad person? Will I miss out on clients? Is it realistic not to help everyone? Of course, she had no clients. Mm. Like we all know where that went, right? You, you, you <laughs> go to someone who's about everything. And if you flip it, you don't feel there for you. So this is the irony, you know, while I have people coming to me and saying, I couldn't focus, I'm not just one thing. I'm like, well, it's funny, you're coming to free range humans. <laughs> so would you have, have, would you have gone to a generic, I help people with everything about all their life and business person? You wouldn't have, you came here for a reason. And so that's the difference. Now, Grace's story is really great for me because once she started honing in and realizing when she talked about productivity, she got started getting clients. She ended up partnering with someone who has you know, a very successful training organization. And she now goes around the world and speaks and creates courses around being more productive when you're short of time. She ended up writing books about it, which is, if you knew her, she's the most unassuming person in the world. And it still surprises her. And what she says to me all the time is that she does all the work she always thought she was going to do. You know, she's someone very involved in her church community mm. uh, back in the UK. And she actually delivered a, a sermon for the first time, I think oh. it was the other month, because of the work she'd been doing, which isn't just about productivity to her. It's about showing up as you. It's about all the things she cared about. Mm. But because it's under the banner of getting things done, that banner is your doorway. And that's how mm. I like to describe it to people you know, who are uncomfortable in having a focus. I'm like, you're not having a focus, son. You're having a doorway. So for me, I, I, you probably guessed this having read the book, Jeff, Free Range Human be a French human, it sits on the entrepreneurship and career shelves. To me, it's not a business book. It's a doorway. It's a book that people pick up because they think or they feel stuck in their lives. They feel stuck in their job. They feel like they're in a business maybe that isn't thriving or doesn't really fit who they are in the life they want. They want something more and they pick up this book. And what they discover, you know, the work that we do is a lot about who are you under the surface? Who are you under the surface of it all? Yes, it has some strategy. Yes, it has all this other stuff. But my passion, my heart really lies in those areas. And I've created a book that's a gateway. Now, if, if you looked at me, you know, at the beginning and said, would you want to focus on this one thing of helping people quit their job? I'd be like, no, that sounds like the most restrictive, boring thing I can think of. <laughs> but what you do instead is you create a doorway. And once people are in your doorway, you get to play. You, know, you get to deliver something and add your twist to it. You, know, you get to do your own. Uh, I love creating events. So I create this idea of a free range festival, um, which we're going to run again soon, I hope. But we, we ran for years. Every year we ran an online festival where I would literally draw a map of our campground that was online. So you'd have the, <laughs> the main stage tent, you'd have fringe events on the weekend, fully online. And that fed my creativity. And so I think that these, these are the conversations we need to have is that you pick a doorway. What's your doorway going to be? It's not who you are. It's not what you do every day for the rest of your life. It's what lets people know you're for them. And I think that's the big difference. Well, connected to that, a few chapters uh, later in the book, there's one called How to Stand Out from the Crowd. And Marianne asks the question, who am I again? Uh, what's, what's the problem, Marianne, with, uh, with personal branding? 
Yeah, because who are you? That's exactly the problem. It's like I, my personal, I have no idea who I am most days. Uh, and I'm sure most people don't. Like, today, am I the creative one? Today, am I the serious one? Like, we, we're all every day, most of us. I was saying the most interesting people are not just one thing. And a personal brand, I don't think needs to be something that makes you one thing. I really believe that all it is, I see this sounds weird, but I see branding and, and strong communication as politeness. Mm. I think it's a way of not asking someone else who has just met you to do all the work to figure out who you are and to assume that you're so important that they should do that. And I think there's a real, and this is what flips things from flips things for me, was I used to think, well, why should I brand myself? Why should I do that? And then I realized, gosh, that's massively egotistical. Am I saying I am so important that people should go around and figure things out for themselves? Is that what I'm saying? Or I'm so unique that I can't possibly know. So what we need to do is we decide on the parts of ourselves that we're going to show up as within what we do. What are the main themes that are like the biggest ones around you? You know, for me, there's there's so many different things, but one of them is this idea of being both the shadow and the light. So something that I do in everything I show up in, you know, I'm not afraid of the messy stuff. I'm not afraid of the depths. I'm not afraid of like, you know, if you look at my uh, website, Free Range Humans, we, we talk about going under the surface, the pieces of you and the things that you know, often don't get airtime, but we're also really fun. And we also bring that up into, you know, these super practical, get things done in a month, like movement. And that's me. It's that, it's that mix. How do you communicate that mix? That's your personal brand. You know, I've been working on, I have a few coaches who are going up on the website soon, three amazing coaches who are like my lead free range coaches. Mm -hmm. And I've been actually copywriting, which I love to do their pages for the site. And I just this morning, just before I got on this call with you, Jeff, I was in touch with one of them, Nicole, and I just sent her her page. And she was like, oh my gosh, it's like Christmas. You've just (laughs) written me up. And she's someone who is fascinating because she had a very high up job in a corporate. She was like advisor to the CEO of a very big company. And she ended up, you know, quitting a job. You know, she's doing lots of things. One of them is coaching and she travels the world with a surfboard. So if you look mm. at her today, she's this woman traveling the world with a surfboard talking about freedom. If you look at her background, she has an MBA and an incredible business history. And her clients come to her because of both. They love the fact that she's a bridge. And so mm. when I wrote her page, it's all about her being a bridge. And so that I think for people who are afraid of, you know, either being one thing or or saying, how do I brand myself? It's like, well, what are two things about you that can come together? Because both those examples are around that. And I think that's where our difference is. It's not by being this one thing that's massively different. It's about taking two or three things you wouldn't expect and putting them into a unique package. And there you have a personal brand. Well, gosh, I've so enjoyed this conversation, but our time is, <laughs> is just about out. Before I move to a couple of questions, Marianne, not directly related to the book, is there anything else from the book you want to make sure that we know? Um, well, I think there's, there's so much, obviously, but I think something that's really, that would be really useful for people who, who are like listening and thinking this sounds, sounds interesting is the idea, the new chapter we have in there in this edition, but what if I'm not a shiny head, super confident entrepreneur? Um, I think it's it's just useful for people to know in short that even when you hear people and see people who come across as confident, there's usually another layer. And I share a bit of my story and some other people's stories of things about mental health and things you might not see 
see. So if anyone ever, if you ever have that moment of, but although those people are out there being so shy, there's something about me that maybe is holding me back. I very much recommend that chapter. Mm. Well, I want you to uh, think about the uh, books that you've read over the course of your career, mm-hmm. or maybe uh, if you need to narrow it down the last few years, uh, what would you say, Marianne, are the two or three titles that come to mind as having had a big impact on you? And if you can share how or why they impacted you as they did. Oh, gosh. Yes. Um, I'd say Turning Pro by Stephen Pressfield. Mm. Uh, and actually, many of Stephen Pressfield's books. Yeah, mm. there's another one of his I recommend very highly. Um, anyone hasn't read it, it's very short and very impactful. It's, it's, a, it's something I recommend to everyone. I also am a huge fan of reading outside of your field. I think you get a lot more insights and you bring a lot more to the table by doing so. And so outside of the the sort of the business and self-development realm, I'd say my favorite books I come back to that really blew my mind were by uh, Yuval Noah Harari. So if you read Sapiens or Homo Deus, so Sapiens is a history of humanity. It's incredible. And Homo Deus is a future of humanity. Um, so Yuval Noah Harari. And that is, if you want some perspective, and I've used this, by the way, in my work so much on who we are as humans, on why we thrive, on where we might be going, on communication, on so many things, you know, let's step outside the business world. And I recommend it's one of Bill Gates's favorite books as well, Sapiens. So I, I highly recommend those. Well, I, I, as I mentioned earlier, I watched your your TEDx talk, loved it. Uh, as a successful speaker, what would you say, Marianne, or some some tips you'd be willing to pass along for giving a, a successful, impactful, mm-hmm. memorable uh, public talk? I'd say know what is the one thing you want someone to get from it. What's the one feeling? Mm-hmm. Um, in my TEDx talk, I wanted people to feel they were enough that they were enough as they are. And so everything we did went back to that. You are you are enough, even when we we're telling other people's stories. So what's the one feeling or one thing that you want people to get? And it will really, really hone your, your thinking and your writing and your speaking. Well, finally, um, I want to ask what's ahead for you and your team that you're currently excited about? Anything that you're able to share? So many. I mean, gosh, I'm, I'm really excited about everything. We've just relaunched the Free Range Humans website, actually the other week, very quietly. We're going to do a real launch on that. So that's brand new after many years overdue. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got the uh, U- US launch of the, the, the book. And we're you know, we've got so many cool things coming up like around those things. I've got some talks coming up in the UK. We've got our new coaches starting. And we've got a few like events planned as well. So yeah, lots of like pieces coming together as this book gets out there. Well, the book, again, is called Be a Free Range Human, Escape the 9 to 5, Create a Life You Love, and Still Pay the Bills. And her name is Marianne Cantwell. Thank you so much, Marianne, for taking time out of your day to be here. And I really enjoyed this conversation, and I love the book. I highly recommend it. Thank you so much. Don't forget that on my website, I always have a blog post connected to each unique episode. What I mean by that is you can go there to find a summary of everything we talked about. Get links to the various resources mentioned, etc. You can find that at readtoleadpodcast.com slash 286 for episode 286. I'll also include a link to that podcast I recommended. If, like Marianne talked about, you're considering maybe stepping away from a job and doing your own thing, I want to help. In less than a month, I'll be kicking off year three of my exclusive private mastermind group. This group is especially designed for the kind of people Marianne talked about, free range humans and free range humans to be. The group name takes its inspiration from a book by Gay Hendricks called The Big Leap. 
I encourage you to check out that book. The name of the group, Zone of Genius. I promise we're not as pretentious as we sound. If you want to be considered for the next iteration of the Zone of Genius Mastermind Group beginning in November 2019, all you need to do is fill out a brief application. You can find that and more information about the Zone of Genius Mastermind at zoneofgenius.net. For questions, comments, or feedback on Read to Lead, I encourage you to reach out to me directly. My email address is jeff at readtoleadpodcast.com. And if you need a cloud accounting solution for your business, take advantage of the free trial from FreshBooks Cloud Accounting Software, freshbooks.com slash read to lead. Well, that does it for this week. I look forward to seeing you next time for the next episode of the Read to Lead podcast. Until then, remember, leaders read and readers lead. Wow.